Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether you're with us in person here this morning, we have a great crowd, or if you're worshiping online. And I want to emphasize the Grove Farm part to you for a moment. You know, um, this property historically uh, was in possession of the Grove family. That's what Christ Church at Grove Farm refers to. And the matriarch of the family was a woman named Helen Grove. And Helen had a prayer. Her prayer was that this property would be used by the Lord. And there's a lot of ways that we could talk about that, but I just want to point out one to you. We've had the food trucks program happening at the church. Many of you are familiar with this. It's come to an end. It's been a, been a great, great experience for us to serve the community. Over 12,600 boxes of food have been distributed through Christ Church and this property. Over 50 volunteers have served. How cool is that? I love it. Listen, there were at least five first-time commitments to Jesus through that experience. And we have even right now with us a family who's worshiping with us because they got a box of food from the church and they met some people from Christ Church. You know, so when Helen prayed that, which I'm grateful for that prayer, this is just one way that that prayer is being answered. So grateful for this faithful prayers. What a great thing. Also grateful for Mike Davis. Mike Davis, our men's minister, did a tremendous job with his core team pulling it all together. So again, one rousing clap of the hand, celebration for what God has done. It's worth mentioning. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do come before you and we celebrate. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you are working through us and the ways you're working in us. And we also thank you, Lord, for the prayers of the faithful, like Helen Grove. And I thank you, Lord, that she had a vision for this property long before we ever got here. And that even now, through your grace, through your hand, by your spirit, that vision is being fulfilled. Her prayers answered. We thank you, Lord. We pray that this property would continue to be used for your purposes. Even right now, Lord, that your purposes would be fulfilled through our sharing together during this hour and as we look at your word. Transform us, God. We come to you with thanks. We come to you with praise. We do it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to take you back to Judges 14. We're in week three of our series, Strong Men, looking at the life of Samson. If you have your Bible, grab it. You can dig in with us right here. It's always good to have the Bible, whether it's through an app or a hard copy in your lap. You can follow along on the screens, of course, too. I want to take you back to, to Judges 14. This is where Jeremiah last week did such a great job. I really am just invigorated by Jeremiah and Gideon and Malachi and all the young men that God's using to, to just minister to us here at the church. Let's pick up again in Judges 14 just for a moment, verses 1 through 3. Um, this is what we learn of of Samson. The first thing we hear about him after his birth is foretold in Judges 13. 14 verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. 
And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It's just how it happened with Lisa and I, same way. We talked just like that. <laughs> so ridiculous, right? His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to this uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Uh, he says, she's the right one for me. Now, on one hand, we see the two sides of, of Samson here. This tug of war that seems to be going on within him. On one hand, he wants to honor the, the, the covenant of marriage. I love it. He sees marriage as something that's desirable and good and from God. And rather than just hooking up with this woman, he says, you know, I should marry her. He, he desires a good thing. That's what we tell people who want to get married. We say, you desire a good thing. And so we see that at work. But on the other hand, we see that his first act is falling in love with a Philistine woman. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, these were the enemies of God. He was born. The, 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 the calling on his life was to deliver her, the Israelites, from the Philistines. And so we see, you know, what I would call the paradox of, of Samson. And I want to point out to you one thing, you know, it says in our translation, we're reading from the IV here, it says that he said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. The literal translation, the literal translation is actually, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. That's what he said. He said, get her. She, she's right in my eyes. This is what I want, is what he was saying. You know, it's so interesting because in the book of Judges, some of you are familiar, if you're familiar with the Bible, one of the, one of the uh, most famous or maybe infamous declarations from the book of Judges is this. It's found in Judges 17, verse 6. It's also found in, in 21, 25. And it's, it says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the statement. That's, the, that's the, the state of the union, so to speak, in Israel during the time of the judges. You know what they did? They did whatever they wanted. They did what they thought was right. And you wonder where they get that. Well, maybe they got that from Samson. Maybe Samson's attitude displayed here when he's seeking out a wife. Hey, I want her. She's good in my eyes. It seems right by me. It's what I want to do. Maybe that same attitude has sunk in and led the people in the wrong direction. I wonder. You got to wonder, right? Because you see it here in the Bible. Again, this is the paradox of Samson. I mean, here's a guy who's called by God to defend Israel, but on the other hand, is lusting after the oppressor's women. That's him. He's, it's a paradox. But I want to be quick to point out to us that this paradox of Samson isn't something we should just gang up on him about this morning. Because the truth of the matter is, whenever we open the scriptures, we're not only doing this as a historical exercise or, you know, a learning opportunity. No, this is meant to speak to us. Yeah, words written for a specific people thousands of years ago, true. But written for us. They're helpful for us. They're important to help us see in how we live and how we relate to God. And so not only is there a paradox of Samson, I would say that, for instance, there's a paradox of the church. When I say church, I'm not just talking about the local church. We're talking about the church universal around the world. There's the paradox of the church, certainly in this nation, you could say. 
You know, we're called to be set apart to be holy. And yet, yet, we tend to be a people who, who want to blend in with the world. It's a paradox, isn't it? We're, we're called to sacrificial love. Those of us who follow Jesus, we're called to follow his example, sacrificial love. But often, what do we find in the church? Greed and aloofness. It's a paradox. You see that paradox at work? When you look around the church today, but it's not only in the church. There's the paradox of you and me, the paradox of blank. Fill in the blank with your name. I'll tell you about the paradox of Craig. I'm supposed to be on a diet these days. And Giant Eagle had a sale on ice cream. I came home with four containers of ice cream on Friday night. My wife said, what's wrong with you? It's a paradox, right? On one hand, I say, I want to be on a diet. I want to lose weight. It's time to get healthy. On the other hand, I want to eat ice cream. But it runs far deeper than that, doesn't it? The paradox of you and me. I mean, we're touched by the grace of God but we despise our neighbors. Or, 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 I mean, we're set free by the blood of Jesus, and yet we're bound by our vices. Or how about this one? We trust in Christ for salvation, but we worry incessantly through the night. We can go on and on and on. The paradox of you and me. It's not just the paradox of Samson. And so as we look at this, we got to consider it. I'll tell you this. Samson was called before he was born. You remember Judges 13? If you haven't, go back and read that. You can watch that message. It's online. Samson was called before he was born. And, and you know, as, as conscious as he was then, he is today as we read this passage. He was unconscious, it seems, of all of this. And here's why. It's because God has done it all. That's what I want to point out to you as we go into this text. God has done it all. You know, we tend to think that it's us that are propelling the narrative of God forward. Or maybe we feel like we're propelling it backwards sometimes, dragging it back. No, listen, God is the one who propels the narrative forward. If the message of Samson, if the story of Samson tells us this, it does nothing to do with Samson and his power and his goodness and his wisdom and his ways. He's a paradox. We're going to talk more about that. No, it is God's grace. It is God's sovereignty that moves everything forward. That's what Samson reminds us of. It reminds us that God is masterminding the plot of the world, the greater narrative of humanity, his story that is moving towards its climax. It reminds me of Romans 8.28 when the scripture says this, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He's pushing the narrative forward. That's what we see. We're going to talk more about this paradox of Samson. Maybe you could see yourself in it as well. Let's go back to the scriptures, Judges 15. Let's dig in here. I'm going to read you through this whole chapter. We're going to get to it, through it. Um, I want to jump right in then again and go to Judges 15, verse 1. The continuing story of Samson. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said... I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. These people are crazy. Like I told you, this stuff is so dysfunctional. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. 
I will really harm them. And so he went out and caught 300 foxes. By the way, some would argue that the translation is better, and we could talk about this in the lobby if you'd like. The better translation would be not foxes, but rather jackals, okay? So he, he caught 300 foxes or jackals and tied them, uh, them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened the torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. This was devastating. And when the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. This stuff is just unbelievable. Samson said to them, since you acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. And then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Atom. I want to point out to you, we have here Israeli-Philistine conflict. And if you were with us a couple weeks ago, I asked you, does this sound familiar? Because the word Philistine from the Bible is where we derive the word Palestine. And so if you're like, this sounds familiar, it seems like this is the kind of stuff that's going on today in the Middle East, you're right. And, and it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Here we have another escalation of the conflict, so to speak. Now, this exploit with the foxes or jackals' tails, whether you feel like this is disturbing or if you think it's bizarre, if you think it's cruel or you think it's funny, the thing I want to point out to you is, whether, regardless of what you think, it has nothing to do with the deliverance of Israel. And that's important. Because remember, what was Samson's purpose? What was his calling? To begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. This doesn't have anything to do with it. It seems like Samson, the paradox, has jumbled motives. Jumbled motives. Here's what I mean. Is this one for the people? Is this one for the Lord? Who's this for? It seems like most of Samson's deeds, if we follow the story, are motivated by his pursuit of his own purposes, his own thirst for revenge, rather than the purposes of God. You see that? I mean, it seems like he's, even hear him, he says here, he says, you know, um, since you acted like this, I swear I won't stop and get my revenge on you. This is more than just like what God's called him to. This is all personal stuff that's wrapped up here. He has a passion to get even. That seems to govern Samson's life. And the, the, pers- the, the uh, foxes and the jackals, well, this, this accomplishes a personal revenge, but it doesn't necessarily seem to deliver the people of God, the Israelites, from the Philistines. And I think there's a heart check that's in need here. You know, last week, Jeremiah talked about blind spots. Well, I think we need to check our blind spots, maybe have a heart check here, and that's this. Sometimes our own selfish motives can be hidden under a cloak of religious zeal. In other words, I'm doing this for God. We trick ourselves. We want ourselves to believe that we're doing something for the glory or goodness of God, but really what's motivating it are selfish motives. Look, this happens all the time in the greater church. It happens all the time where people are hungry for power, 
or their own pride. And so they try to control a church. They try to control a mission or family of God because of their own pride. We see the same kind of thing at work here in Samson. We've got to be careful of this. What are your motives? Check your blind spots because once again, we see Samson get caught up in these things and he's jumbled. He's clearly jumbled. His revenge is really what's motivating him more than his calling, his pursuit of God. Let's go back to the text. I want to keep on going here. Pick up in verse 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah after all this happened, spreading out near Lahai. The people of Judah, these are Israelites, asked, have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Here's this back and forth, the escalating conflict again. And so 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Atom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, well, we've come to tie you up and to hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answer, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. And so they bound him up with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. Now I want to turn our attention for a moment from Samson to the people of Judah here who are Israelites. Let's turn our attention there for just a moment. And I want to ask you a question. Did you catch that? Did you catch what was happening here? Are you processing this with me? Because they ask a question. They say to the Philistines, these people of Judah, these Israelites, they say, why have you come to fight us? The fact that they are surprised that the Philistines have come to fight them is mystifying to me. It's mystifying. I mean, what were they thinking? The Israelites are God's people. We know that from the scriptures. They are God's people. They are in a covenant with God, not the Philistines. And so that means that there's going to be a conflict. I, I, I can't imagine they didn't anticipate this. There's going to be a conflict between them, people who are in a relationship with God, and the Philistines, a godless people. Of course there's going to be a conflict. Why are they surprised they would come to them? I think this is a low moment in Israel's history. I suggest that to you. In fact, I would label this, I'll label it in my notes, the final sellout. We got a sellout here from the Israelites. We see this progressive deterioration of the people. Where at the beginning of Judges, we went to Judges 2, we see them at least turning to God and crying out for deliverance. Well, now they don't even cry out for deliverance. I mean, who are the Israelites in covenant with? Are they in covenant with God? Or are they in covenant with the Philistines? Did it ever occur to them that God might rule over them and not just the Philistines? Here they are handing over the champion that God's given them handing him over, the one who was called to deliver them, to the enemy. What's going on here? Did, did they not catch that this guy had the ability to rip lions apart with his bare hands? Have they never heard of his ex exploits? They bind him up out of fear and they give him to the Israelites. Do you catch this? They don't, have, they don't trust God anymore. They don't turn to the Lord when they're in time of need. Instead, they succumb. Instead, they give in. Instead, they're fearful. Don't you catch this? And I wonder, look, I wonder, 
is the church selling out? I wonder if the church, if it hasn't sold out, if the church will sell out. Listen, there are many people in our culture today who see a gap between the values of the world and the values of people who follow Christ. There are many of you who sense that, that, that discrepancy, that gap, right? Well, look, I, I want to be clear with this, okay? There is not going to be a harmonious coexistence ever between the world and the people of God. And, and the reason I say that is born out of Scripture. I mean, consider what Jesus says in the book of John. In the book of John, Jesus says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus prayed that his followers would be in the world, but not of the world. I mean, there's going to be a rub. There should have been a rub for the Israelites. They should have felt that rub. But what do we do? What do we do in light of that rub? But before you grab your pitchforks and axes, and your torches, here's what I would say. We should pray. We should turn to God. You know what's missing from this narrative here? You know what's missing from the Israelites' response when, 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 when the Philistines come up and they want to bind up their champion? They didn't, we don't have evidence they turned to the Lord. God, what should we do? God, help us. God, you said you would deliver us. Will you deliver us? God, you've given us Samson. Would you, would you protect this champion, this judge you've, you've given to us? There's no evidence they did that. Instead, in cowardice. They succumbed to the world. They succumbed to to the Philistines. What if we cried out to the Lord? Look, I'll I'll tell you this. You know, we consider what I said, this gap between the world and between the people who follow Jesus, the people who value the scriptures. When you see that gap, you wonder, what do we do? I want to remind you this too. Jesus said, yes, in the book of John, When he's before Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But here's another thing we take from the book of John. John 3.16, we all could could recite it. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? And so look, as we consider all of this, the point isn't to start a war. The point is to drive us to be a people who pray, who cry out to the Lord. No, that he loves the world. He desires people to come to repentance. And I'll tell you this. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's what we need in these days so that we don't become sellouts like the Israelites. Here's what we need. We need to be the people of God. We need to be God's people. And that means community. That means being in the scriptures. That means growing in faith, hope, and love. I'll give you two really practical ways you can do this. Okay. Practical ways, easy ways. If you're, a, if you're a man, we're talking about Samson, a man here. If you're a man, I want to invite you. Come on, sign up for Man Up. Go to this. We're talking about community. You might get some community started there. You might meet some other guys. Make some friends. Talk about being in the Word. Talk about growing in faith, hope, and love. Men, sign up. Bring your son. Bring your grandson. Bring your friends. Be a part of Man Up. Okay? Here's something for the whole church. We have to be the people of God. Something for the whole church with this. We're going to be starting a series called Be Like Jesus in two weeks. It's going to be a nine-week study of the book of Philippians. Really excited about it. And as we do it, as a companion, we're going to start at least 25 groups. We're calling them gathering groups. 
And we're going to gather during the week to also in parallel study the book of Philippians together. No threat to this. We need some leaders. If you want to lead, let, let us know that. We would love for you to be a part of it. You can actually get more information. You can sign up today. We have people available in the Minton Commons to help with this, to get you connected to a gathering group when we study Philippians. You can go online, ccgf.org, forward slash gathering groups. Find more information, sign up, tell us you want to be a leader, whatever. But here's the point. We need to be the people of God. This time in our history is going to call for it. We must be the people of God. And that begins, I believe, with community, being in the scriptures, growing in faith, hope, and love, because there's going to be a gap. And we need to turn to God and cry out to him. Okay, I'm getting to preaching here, which I guess what I should be doing. Let's turn and go back to the scriptures. Let's go and, and dig back into this passage. Judges 15, verses 14 through 17. Pick it back up in the story. As he, Samson, he's bound up, remember, tied up here with ropes. As he approached Lahai, the Philistines came toward him shouting. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And then Samson said, as he was wont to do, a little poem comes out, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth Lahai. So how many of you, honestly, in your head, if you're thinking about this, how many of you think to yourselves, oh, God can't use me? Too much baggage, too, much, too many issues. God won't use me, some of you might think. I know you may not articulate that a lot, but I think a lot of people think that. Oh, God can't use me. God won't use me. So are you telling me that you are lower than the jawbone of an ass? Because I want to point out to you that a jawbone of an ass, my daughters love that I emphasize the word ass here. The jawbone of the ass was used to slay and, 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 and kill a thousand men, over a thousand men. This is great like act of strength. It's ridiculous what happens here. That happens. Look, this is the same God who raised up Peter, a commoner, a fisherman, uneducated, to be someone who was, who was powerfully used in the church. This is the same God who, rose, who raised up Rahab, the prostitute. Read about her in the Old Testament. This is the same God who raised up Josiah, the eight-year-old king. This is the same God who uses Samson, the paradox I mean, don't you see, God delights in using the quote-unquote weak things, the despised things of the world. I'll point you to a New Testament verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. God chose the foolish things of this world, things like the jawbone's ass, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I mean, take note, take note. An ass's jawbone for a mighty deed. Don't tell me that God can't or won't use you. I hope that, that pokes some of you on the chest, so to speak. I hope for some of you that pushes you and says, man, that's right. 
But also see this in this part of the, the text, the paradox of Samson. We're back to this again. The paradox of Samson. On one hand, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Did you catch that? The spirit of the Lord comes on him in a powerful way. And you're like, yeah, there's our champion. There's the guy that God's raised up to deliver us. You see it. But then on the other hand, on the other hand, we have to remember he was a Nazarite. You remember the Nazarite vow we talked about in Judges 13? Meaning that he was to steer clear of what? Grapes and dead things. Anything with the grape, anything that's dead, he's to steer away from it. But where does he get this jawbone? Note that the scriptures, which are very detailed, by the way, says that he found a fresh jawbone, just happened to be lying around, a fresh jawbone of a donkey. In other words, he took it from a rotting carcass, a fresh carcass of a donkey. What's he doing? We see again the paradox of, of Samson. On one hand, the Spirit of God comes on. the other hand, he breaks his vow in the process. And this is a metaphor for Israel. At the same time, Israel is being delivered from, from sin. There's the salvation of Israel that's pictured here through Samson. On the other hand, there's the sin of Israel. Both of them hand by hand, um, side by side. It's a metaphor for Israel. And let me tell you, it's a metaphor for us too. Samson was a disaster. We see it all through this story. And the truth is, if you're really honest with yourselves, a lot of you would say, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm a disaster too in my thoughts, in the way I speak, in the way I act. Sometimes I'm a disaster. And, and what this reminds us, this metaphor, is again a New Testament principle that we have to hold. What do we make of the paradox of Samson? What do we make of the paradox of the church? What do we make of the paradox of Israel? What do we make the paradox of you and I? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, let light shine of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You hear that? God said, let light shine out of darkness. And you put that same light in our hearts. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this light. This is the verse you see on the screens. We have this light in jars of clay. In other words, clay pots that are broken, fragile, cracked, holes in them. We have this light of God, this treasure in, guards, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so when we're hard-pressed and we're crushed, perplexed in despair, when we're persecuted, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, his light, may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being made and given over to the death of Jesus for, uh, for je death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. What do we do with the paradox? It's for God's glory, ultimately. The paradox of you and me, it's actually where our hope lives, lies. This isn't a testimony to human faithfulness. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness. Israel's hope lies in God alone, not Samson. For those who are Christ followers, your hope lies in God's faithfulness, not yours. Look, the hope of the world, that gap we're talking about, the hope of the world lies in God's faithfulness through Jesus Christ. God so loved the world 
That's the point of the story. That's the point of the narrative. That's what we do with this paradox. We rely on God's faithfulness, not human faithfulness. I want to take it to the end. We're going to finish the chapter now. Verse 18. Because he was thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. This is Samson. You must have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God opened up the hollow place in Lahai, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakur, and it is still there in Lahai. By the way, in 1300, that, that spring was said to still be there functioning just a few hundred years ago. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And so in these final verses here, we see our strong man in a different light. Here's our champion. And for the first time, Samson finds himself in a situation that he couldn't muscle through. And isn't it interesting? He was thirsty. That's the situation. He was thirsty. Big man needed a drink. Thirsty. And so what does he do? He prays. Remember the people of Israel who wouldn't pray? Well, Samson here, he prays. And God, seeing Samson's selfishness, knowing full well how selfish he is, seeing his disobedience, seeing the whole paradox of Samson, seeing the disaster that Samson is. Well, here's what God does. God performs a miracle. He performs a miracle and provides water for Samson. Oh, man. Even Samson, the paradox, the disaster, turned to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How about you? How about the paradox of fill in the blank? How about you, church? Are you going to continue to ignore God Are you going to continue to resist him? Are you going to resist him in your pride? Or will you turn to him? What will it take for you to turn to the Lord? Samson turned to him. It took some thirst. Let me tell you, if you turn to the Lord, he will work a miracle in your life. I mean, Samson was bound. We talked about today how Samson was bound by his countrymen. Jesus was bound by his countrymen. He was delivered into the hands of the Roman authorities. Though he knew no sin, Jesus was crucified on the cross, bound. You know, Samson here cries out in thirst. Well, Jesus Christ cried out in thirst as he suffered on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed. What did he do? He cried out, I am thirsty. Listen, Jesus was bound so that we would no longer be bound by sin. Jesus experienced thirst so that we would never have to thirst again. And he proves that in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. He says this. I love the connection here between this New Testament passage, the words of Jesus, and what we just seen was, we've, we've seen here with Samson. Everyone who drinks this water, Jesus says in John chapter 4, everyone who drinks this water, referring to a well, will be thirsty again. But 
Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, God worked one miracle for Samson and provided water out of a hollow rock where there had been no water before. He speaks of a greater miracle through Jesus, and that's this, that he will produce and all who will turn to him, all who will cry out to Jesus and say, God, save me, that he will produce a well, a spring of living water in you and me. That is the hope of the gospel. What do you do if you're a paradox? What do you do with the paradox of, of the church, the, the paradox of, of, of the world, the paradox of you and me? Our hope lies in the Lord. He's the one who's advancing the narrative. And he's the only one who ultimately can cure our thirst. Would you turn to Jesus? Whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, now is the time to cry out to him. Let's pray. Let's cry out to him. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this story of Samson. So often we find it to be ridiculous. So often we find it to be confusing. But we thank you, Lord, for what this points out to us, that though we, like Samson, are paradoxes, we have a paradoxical existence. On one hand, we praise you with our lips. On the other, we curse people. We curse our neighbors. We're inconsistent, God. Though we identify with Samson, we thank you, Lord, that we have this hope that you and your mercy and your goodness have worked a miracle. And in our thirst, you've sent Jesus to be the living water. And Lord, if we'll turn to him, we could trust that you will put in us a spring, an eternal spring of water. In other words, there's real life in us. There's hope for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that everyone who has heard this passage this morning and considered its words would turn to you in the midst of their paradoxical existence, that we would all, Lord, turn to you, whether for the first time or the second, say, oh God, I believe in, in Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe that he died to pay for our sins. I believe he rose again. I believe he paid for us all. Lord, help me to live for Jesus. I cry out to you, God, and ask you to fill me with the living water of life. Oh, make that prayer yourself today. Cry out to Jesus. He's the hope for the paradoxical man and woman. Thank you, Lord, that you're advancing the narrative. Thank you that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. We praise you. We love you. We pray all this in faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.